you've subscribed to Amateur Hour and we now need to pay you off because in an essence, if you subscribe and it's not regularly delivered and it's not high-end guys, then unsubscribe. Go ahead and do it right now. I mean, if in fact, but here's the deal. We're so proud of where this show has gone. We understand it's got a long, long ways to go. Danny Wexelman, the producer and co-host of this great podcast. I'm Darren Sutton. We've got Jerron Watts Brown, the, the, the talented pitcher at Oklahoma State who was a multiple sport athlete, a quarterback, a great forward playing basketball from the San Joaquin Valley, kind of in between Fresno and Bakersfield. His background is incredible, and he just has come of age. He redshirted in 2021, and then last year, in 73 and a third inning, struck out 111 at Long Beach State, jumped, made sure he went to Oklahoma State, to a no-hitter along the way on Mother's Day with mom in attendance. Like, this is a dude, Danny. I'm excited because this is a guy that has every chance of being a night one pick in the draft. Yeah, I was excited to catch up with him because I, I haven't had the chance to yet, but he, I think any guy who transfers always catches my eye. I want to know a little bit more about where did you come from? Where are you going? How did you get to where you are now? And the program and Josh Holiday, what they've done at Oklahoma State, you watch them in their playoff run last year, and they're a gritty team. They're a blue-collar team. This team likes to have a lot of fun. And so for Jerron to decide to transfer there, coming over with, like you mentioned, that no-hitter, the repertoire that he has, and we dive in, what are you working on? How are you acclimating yourself? What is important for you coming over to this team? I think it's awesome. He, the kid's like exuding confidence. He just like, he clearly is comfortable talking about these things. But also I think that the ceiling there, everyone is excited about, including myself. Yeah, kind of a spoiler alert, a little bit. A surprise answer when I talked to him about giving up seven against Santa Barbara last year. It's kind of surprising his answer, and I love it. I wish I would have had that confidence when I gave up seven as a college or as a minor league pitcher. It made sense, too. His answer made sense when he described it. By the way, after that outing, he went as a college pitcher 33 innings and struck out 55 the rest of the season after giving up the seven against Santa Barbara. Excited about him. By the way, mom is Christy Balderrama. Stepdad is Robert. They're a big, big part of his life, and his dad, Colain, as well. They were all in attendance at his no-hitter. Then there's Matt Shaw who's 21 plus a couple of months old. He's at Maryland. This is the Cape Cod most valuable player. This is a guy who, again, I'll say he's 21 because when I talk with him, and I mean this in a positive way, seems 35, not 21. And I, I challenge some 35-year-olds to come across as mature and reflective as Matt Shaw is. So yes, he's 21. Yes, he's going to be a for sure night one draft pick if he stays healthy. But boy, is he way beyond his years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, first of all, he likes to read and we talked about that, which is always exciting. He he gave an answer that left me speechless. It made me do a lot of thinking, the, the amount that he likes to learn and wants to learn. And he also gave us a masterclass, a one minute masterclass on how he's learned what his body does and how it works for him. And I would I would urge everybody who wants to be better at the plate to just take the 60 seconds and listen to what he said. Because I'm going to be honest, I feel like I could go out right now and do what Matt Shaw said. I'm not going to be Matt Shaw. I'm not going to get drafted. But I know I'd be a, a 100% better at the plate based off those 60 seconds. So it was awesome to get to know him. I think he flies under the radar at Maryland. And he's going to pump that program up. Good program last year. They're on the hunt for Omaha. But 
this is a really cerebral kid, and, and he's going to make some major league team really happy. Yeah, he's a great athlete. Think Alex Bregman. Think Dustin Pedroia. Though he's taller than those two, but he looks to those guys. Um, you know, he's a little bit taller. He looks to those guys as maybe, you know, not your strapping 6'5 guys who performed. Gosh, by the way, he flies, and he steals bases. And with his intellect, he's a, he's a wise base runner and a great base stealer. Um, and by the way, perfect games early around Christmas time, mock draft, had him going 16 to the Giants. So that's first round, 16th overall pick. I think he can only raise his stock from there. So two great guests. Also on this podcast, a great writer and scout, Tyler Russo, will help us understand the top 50 high school teams while zeroing in on the brand new rankings of the top 10 teams in the country. We have a segment called Scout Size. Perfect Game has so many insightful scouts that assist Danny and I. We don't do our job without them. So we're excited to have Tyler jump in on the podcast and become a regular contributor. And we'll also have a little slice of the pizza pie that is Perfect Game College Baseball, a streaming show that's seen each week on Perfect Game TV with my co-host Hunter Pence. We'll take the piece out where Hunter Pence talks with Tim Corbin, one of the legendary college coaches and the multiple national champion head coach at Vanderbilt. Love it. And Hunter geeks out when he gets a coach like that, so you want to want to listen to that. It's a great show. It's loaded with prospects, certainly. A little bit of eye on high school and then some insights from Coach Corbin. Let's get it started now. Matt Shaw, Maryland shortstop. I'm stoked to have you here on Amateur Hour. I know that the season is literally moments away. Everyone is getting excited about it. A ton of anticipation. And I haven't talked to you. I, we, we, ha- we don't have a ton as far as a track record goes, you and I. But I know Darren knows you. So I'm excited to dive in. And I actually want to go back. I want to go back to last summer on the Cape. And I want to do a before and an after because I know that you grew up close to the Cape within driving distance of the Cape. So before you got to the Cape last summer, what did you know about what happens on Cape Cod every summer with baseball? Yeah, I remember having this question, I think, on my last interview, and, and I talked a little bit about how I thought it was a minor league uh, league up, up there. I remember meeting someone way back in the day, and, and I thought he played professional baseball. I thought he was already in the minor leagues. Um, and, you know, as I grew up being close to them, you know, I obviously started to learn more that it was a college league, and, and that's where a lot of uh, really talented players went every summer. Um, so, you know, coming into that year, I'm like, you know, I'd love to go play at the Cape, and, and, and that's a goal of mine. And, and then all of a sudden, it's the end of the spring, and it's, hey, man, going to the Cape in a couple of weeks. And, and so it's really exciting. What, what's the reaction besides excitement, knowing that that was something in your backyard, that was something that you decided to make a goal for yourself, but it, it's invite. Like, it's the best of the best there, and then you were the best there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of um, – I think there's a lot of – a lot that goes into the playing in the Cape, you know, they take it really seriously there. They, they do a really good job of, of making it feel like an important league. You know, there's scouts there, you have fans at every game, um, you know, and, and everyone has a lot of fun. Everyone's there because they're, you know, one of their best players at school. Um, so obviously it's a dream to go play the Cape. And I think that everyone feels a similar way as, you know, my freshman, sophomore, junior year, whatever it may be, like, I want to go play in the Cape Cod League. And uh, I want to dominate there. And for me, you know, obviously I've been thinking about it for a long time. And, and uh, you know, I mentioned this before, but baseball is just baseball. And uh, going up there and playing baseball was a dream, but it's also what I do every day, what I love to do. And, and so I had a great time. 
we've asked a lot of guys this, Matt, who have gone through the Cape last summer. Who is who is the favorite person that you met? Favorite teammate? Who was it and why? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I'm going to answer that with a few teammates that I, I really appreciated. I uh, can't really put one there. Uh, but first and foremost, Evan Slight, uh, really great guy. Got to know him a little bit. We talked about baseball. We kind of gave ideas to each other, and, and it was really helpful. Um, and then his teammate at Rutgers, Chris Brito, another great guy, someone that you know us three really connected, and, and we were able to talk ball and, and learn about each other, which was really exciting. Um, and third, which is a tough one, I'm going to go fourth. Sorry. So third would be Alan Espinal. He's from Vanderbilt. He's a catcher, just like a good dude. Uh, showed up every day, had a lot of energy, and, and uh, he loved baseball, which was awesome. Um, and then uh, I'll throw in John Peck, who's from uh, Pepperdine. Uh, a little bit quiet at first, but getting to know him was, was great and a uh, really funny kid. Um, so it, it was a really good time. Got a West Coast beach guy in the mix there. Well done by you. That's, that's a couple of opposites attract when I look at the, the map of the United States. So I, so I read this quote, and I'd love for you to expound upon it. It's pretty simple. It's not revolutionary, but it comes from you, and I like it. My goal is Major League Baseball. Many get drafted, but then don't make it to the big leagues. The draft is a stepping stone. Expound. You know, that's something that, you know, I talk about with some of our draft guys and, and kind of think in my own head is, you know, my goal is to play in the major leagues. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of hype around the draft, similar to the Cape Cod League, where, you know, you know, everyone's watching, you know, it's a really important event. Um, but, you know, as I said in the quote, like it's a stepping stone. And, and for, for me, having that mindset is really helpful, um, understanding that, the draft is important. When scouts come to your game, it's important. Meeting and talking to scouts is important. But what's most important is playing baseball. What's most important is after the draft, going and knowing that I have to perform to move up. I have to perform to go play in the major leagues, uh, which means that my goal today is to get better. My goal today, you know, stuff like that, which is really important. So, um, you know, having that mindset has been really helpful. Um, it's just kind of allowed me to let go of all the pressures and say, you know, my goal is to play baseball. My goal is to play it at the highest level. And, um, you know, so I bring that to the field every day. The other thing that, that I noticed in that quote was the word learning. And folks can probably finish the rest of the sentence. You know, if I, I need to learn enough in order to make it to the MLB as soon as possible, you said. But that concept of learning, I want to drill down on the concept of learning. I, I know you plan on learning at the next level after you sign. But so far, the last couple of years, what have you learned? What have you learned about yourself? Whether it be your mind, whether it be your swing, but what are some of the big parts of your world that have maybe evolved and changed because you've learned over the last few years? Learning is huge. Uh, probably one of my favorite words is learn. Um, you know, I've learned a lot of things. Um, you know, wow, put me on the spot here. Uh, I've definitely learned a lot about baseball in general. Obviously, there's swing things that I've learned about, you know, how my body's supposed to move, different things like that. That's a whole, a whole uh, rabbit hole I'm not going to get down right now. Um, I've learned the importance of defense. Uh, you know, defense is a huge part of the game. So being able to, to play defense at a high level and, and put in the work there is really important. I've learned about arm strength and long tossing and the importance of long tossing, the importance of, you know, having good spin on your ball across the diamond. Uh, learn the importance of stealing bases and, and understanding that you have to steal in certain counts and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I've also learned how to lift 
maybe lifting a little lighter in some aspects, a little heavier in some, you know, to stay healthy and, and be out there every day. Um, and, and on the mental side of things, um, you know, I learned who to surround yourself with. I've, I've learned how to eat better. You know, I've learned about electrolytes, how to drink better. Um, you know, I, I have a girlfriend and, and I've learned a lot from her. Uh, she's taught me a lot. She's a couple years older and, and she's, she's helped me to learn, you know, a little bit more of who I am and, and helping me to find my peace in general in life. So, you know, when I get to the field or no matter where I am, you know, I feel very calm and, and comfortable with who I am, which is important. That's an amazing answer. That is such a good answer. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I'm just trying to take in everything you just said because I, I not that, that that's a whole new concept, but for you to speak so, so fluidly and and trusting yourself so much, I, I love to hear that. Who's emphasized in your life growing up that the best way to get to where you are right now is by learning and by being open-minded? My dad's definitely a role model of mine, someone who's always worked really hard, who's definitely hasn't complained much. Uh, he, he owns a small business locally in Massachusetts where I'm from. Uh, and he's influenced me a lot um, in all those ways. Uh, he's not necessarily outspoken, but he leads by example. He does everything right. Um, and that's kind of helped me to, to take that into my own life. Um, and then, you know, my brothers and, and a few other people close to me really like to read. Uh, and that influenced me and, and I became to, uh, to really love to read. Uh, so I, I read a lot as much as I can, and, and that's helped a lot to to understand who I am, to understand my environment, to understand the people around me. And, and the more I understand, it, it, it makes it um, easier and better. Is there something that you've read lately or something that you've read that you always can reference back to that that's just stood out, stamped in your mind? Yeah, uh, I guess I'll use one example. There's plenty, uh, but one that comes quickly to mind. Uh, when I was reading uh, uh, I Can't Hurt Me, You Can't Hurt Me, what is it? Uh, one of those two, by the Navy SEAL. Uh, one thing he talks about is, I think he had a, a wife, that, I, think he, I think he's married, uh, and he talks about how he had this kind of like very stern, like focused look about him and one time his wife's like, hey, like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, nothing's wrong. Like, I'm just, I'm at peace. Like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily happy or sad or whatever. And that's why his face was very kind of neutral. And that's something that I think about a lot. Like, my girlfriend sometimes said, hey, what's wrong? And, and I go, I, I'm honestly just, I'm very at peace. And, and I feel very present, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, so I think about that sometimes. And, and you know, I, I I think that's a, a very important part of life, for sure. I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole that you described earlier, so I'll just tell you to, I'll ask you to dip your, dip your foot into it for me just a little bit. When you said, I understand how my body and my swing is supposed to work. Again, give me the one-minute version, not the 30-minute version. Uh, if we're ever together in person, I'd love to learn the 30-minute version. But just some of the key highlights on your swing, how your body is supposed to work in your swing, Maybe give me the one-minute version. Okay, one-minute version. Matt Swope here in Maryland. He's the best hitting coach in the country, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, that's important to say. Um, but we, we go through these things called motor preferences. It's how your body is preferenced, how it's supposed to move. Uh, little things like for me personally, which is very different for everybody else, everyone's going to have their different preferences. You know, I, for example, have a right motor eye, which means I need my eye when I hit 
to be lined up with the guy's arm slot. Uh, you know, I like my hands close to my body here. That's just a motor preference. Uh, you know, I have a right forefront balance point um, on my right foot, which means I like my weight on my right toe. Some people like their weight on their heel. Um, I'm an aerial, which means I'm shoulder motor, which means that my shoulders create my power, not my hips. So when I'm throwing or when I'm hitting, I can have like a more upright stance. When I'm throwing, I can throw more over the top. I don't necessarily need to ride out my hip or anything like that. Uh, so that's my one minute version of motor preferences and, and how they work for me. What, thank you, by the way, well done. I appreciate that. What do you recall about, uh, what was it? Was it Nakona baseball? Is that how we say the name of the, your travel team? Coach Mike Lyons. I was going through my own rabbit hole and studying you and found that you balled at a 15U event in Georgia and you played really, really well. Those were your travel ball days. Um, what do you recall about putting that uniform on, Coach Mike Lyons, some of those memories as, as the younger you? Yeah, as the younger me, uh, I recall, you know, not having any clue what I was doing at the plate, just hitting baseballs, uh, not really thinking anything. Um, I remember Mike Lyons is super witty and sarcastic uh, and someone I love to be around, really smart, uh, really smart guy, loved the game. Uh, understood the game. It wasn't until later on that I that he really gave me more information about approach and stuff like that. But as a young kid, I just remember having a ton of fun. Um, I really enjoyed summer ball. I loved my teammates. We had a good squad. We we all kind of grew up together. Um, and you know, I, I think it was it was a cool experience because a lot of the guys that are on my team then uh, are playing Division One baseball now, which is uh, pretty cool. I love that. Oh my goodness. So you mentioned, I want to go back to, to Matt Swope and I want to like tie all this in now because you gave us the masterclass in a minute, which I know eventually, I think Darren and I are both hoping that, that we'll get the, you know, the sit down lecture on. But if you combine that with my question of going from your freshman year, you hit seven home runs and then your sophomore year, the, the power shows up uh, and you had five multi-homer games. In one of them, you hit three against Michigan. So what's the difference? What did you specifically work on from your freshman year to go to your sophomore year to advance that power? Yeah, so that's kind of a, a loaded question. Um, there's the physical side of things in the weight room. <laughs> in the weight room where, you know, I started to learn that I didn't necessarily need to lift as heavy and I could get away with, get away with, I could, my body was felt better when I lift a little heavier upper body, uh, a little lighter lower body. Um, and so being able to move better, uh, be a little more efficient in the way I move, uh, that was definitely helpful. I think my freshman year is a little bit bigger and stockier actually and a little less mobile. Um, and then, you know, I think just maturing naturally from freshman year to sophomore year, uh, you know, sitting pitches, understanding counts, understanding pitchers, understanding what I wanted to do on certain pitches. I think that just matured from year to year, um, you know, and, and putting those two together. And then obviously having Matt Swope as a hitting coach and, and influencing these motor preferences was, was uh, super beneficial. Um, and then you put all those together and, you know, Last year, I hit some more home runs, and, and hopefully this year, it just it progresses in the same direction.
I feel like you you're a, a very heavy thinking man, but also I think at the same time it sounds like you're able to find a way to also push everything out and just do what you do best, which is play baseball, right? You you've said that like it's just baseball at the end of the day. So with with all this thinking, but also you're using it in a really productive way. How do you um let let loose or how do you let go or or calm your mind when you come off the field and things do you know what I'm trying to say like how do you like take off the thinking hat for a second and 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 then you know unwind a little bit how does that work for you yeah that's a great question something I've dealt with a lot in the last couple years is trying to find a way to kind of let go after the after the game is over whatever it may be um you know Having my girlfriend around can be helpful sometimes. She can be someone that she can be someone that I can talk to and, and helps me let go and be off the field. Uh, being around my friends in my room can be helpful. Um, but sometimes it's you know as easy as me thinking in my head. You know, I need to I need to let go. Like I need to turn this off. I'm not playing. I'm not on the field. Like I can take a break. Um, sometimes that is extremely helpful. Um, but it, it can definitely be difficult. And I know a lot of guys have the trouble of their mind racing and, and being able, not being able to sleep and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, having those resources and, and kind of being able to let go and realize it's just a game and, and I want to have as much fun as possible helps me to, to kind of push everything aside. Well, I have a quick follow-up because I, I've heard girlfriend twice now. So I, I, I do want to know, can you tell us about your girlfriend? Tell us her name because it sounds like the impact that she's having on you is really important. Yeah, my girlfriend's name is Danielle. Uh, and she's uh, living with me here at, uh, at my apartment here at Terrapin Row. Um, and yeah, she's had a, she definitely had a positive impact on me. Um, kind of helped me to find myself a little more. Helped me to find that piece that I talk about a lot. Um, and, you know, I think uh, I'm trying to do a similar thing for her and, and, and we work well together. So, you know, it's it's really good. We have a good relationship. Uh, we understand that, you know, we both have things we have to do. You know, I have to go to the field. I have to work out. I have to do whatever it may be. You know, she's she's working personal training, stuff like that. So, you know, being on both ends of it, being able to help support each other and, and kind of lift both ends is, is really helpful. And, and it makes it a lot easier. So Tyler Russo is amazing. He's Perfect Games National Scouting Coordinator, and he shines a light in this edition of Scout's Eyes on the top 10 high school programs in the country. Go ahead and visit his Twitter and find it and, and follow him. It's at T-Russo, R-U-S-S-O-P-G. Do it because it's worth it. And he reveals all of the teams, all 50 of the teams on his social, but specifically the top 10 with every single team reveal does a capsule on every single high school team. I'll just tell you this as he opens up his notebook. Six teams, different states. I mean, it's incredible. You have the top 10 with six different states represented. So it's a, it's, it's a really cool look into the scout size national scouting coordinator, Tyler Russo. I'm Tyler Russo, national scouting coordinator with Perfect Game. And I'll once again be leading our spring high school content. Uh, really exciting year ahead. Uh, I got a lot of new faces throughout the top 50, which you can see on our website, or throughout our various social media channels. Uh, we kind of want to run through the teams in the top 10. A lot of familiar faces there um, this year. You know, it's it's really difficult to be a part of the top 50 in general, uh, given there's 10,000 plus high schools around the United States, uh, which makes this 10 really that much more special. 
So diving into it, looking at number 10, got Bishop Gorman, uh, powerhouse out of the West Coast, um, traditionally up toward the top of the rankings for us, um, in terms of the top 50. A lot of uh, good under or upper class uh, prospects, Easton Shelton, Burke Mabus, Anthony Marnell, Aiden Pollock, um, a bunch of bats in that lineup that kind of will step into big roles, um, not as much star power as they've had in the past, um, but, you know, really well-rounded ro roster, Caden Soder and Camden Perry. Couple of Division One arms there at the t uh, at the front of the rotation. Uh, on, to, on to number nine, uh, Harvard Westlake. Um, some really talented uh, guys at the top of that uh, top of that roster. Will Gasparino is a PG All American for us this year. Um, he'll kind of headline that offense, and then Bryce Rayner, um, you know, really talented junior two way prospect who uh, who wasn't able to throw last spring. Ha was battling some arm issues, but should be back this spring, and that'll be a huge piece for him on the mound. Um, to go along with, uh, obviously, really talented bat. Um, number eight, got Hamilton. Uh, you know, losing Gavin Turley is a really big piece. He led them in a lot of categories. Um, one of the best players in the state. Um, but now, you know, got Rock Chalowski, a PG All-American, stepping up and hoping to be the spark for that offense um, all spring long. And then guys like Zach Wattis, who's got some of the best power in the country. Uh, Josh Tiedman, Carson Johnson, Will Shalor. Ryan Kucherak, I mean, they the list goes on. They have tons of Division One guys um, that make that that you know that offense and that rotation really go. Uh, number seven, Orchard Lake St. Mary's, our national champion a year ago. Um, you know, going to be really tough to lose the kind of guys that they did. Uh, Brock Porter was you know was the national pitcher of the year last year. So I mean, it's really tough to lose somebody like that. But you know, that offense is still going to be really good. Blake Grimmer, Jason Oliver, Ryan McKay, looking at. Looking at the list, um, you know, they have a ton of experienced hitters that know how to win. Um, and then you got some underclassmen that are going to give them innings on the mound. You know, Aiden Donovan is a, is a junior that should step in and, and you know, maybe brunt, uh, take the brunt of a lot of innings for them. So, uh, number six, back to the West Coast, Huntington Beach. Um, you know, a team that's, you know, always really good, but hasn't taken that next step to be, you know, kind of right here at the top of the rankings. But this year, when you look at that roster on paper, it's so deep with so much talent. Um, Rafi Velasquez is, is kind of the headliner there, uh, PG All-American, big juice in the left side, taking a lot of steps forward in terms of his athleticism to, you know, the chance to stick behind the plate would be really big for them. And then they, they kind of lean on a lot of young guys, uh, looking at Trent Grinlinger is, is probably the number one guy you look at in terms of guys that have done well, uh, early in their high school years. Uh, he, he was a good hitter for them already on the team last year. And then now he's just a sophomore and already stepping up and, and going to be one of the top hitters on that team. Uh, looking at five, Stillman Douglas, a team we know so much about, national champion from two years ago. Um, they, they, they lost a big one in Roman Anthony last year, but so many young guys that are stepping up that have had plenty of experience winning with that team um, that are, that are going to be really good. Christian Rodriguez is in his final campaign. He can do it uh, with the bat, but on the mound, he's a star. He was, uh, he's, he's always been really good, and he's, he's ready to kind of – kind of lead the way and, and, and see what how he can go out in, this, in his final year. Um, Jacob Gomberg, another big arm for them. You know, a, a, an arm that could be an ace on a lot of teams, and he's going to be the number two behind Rodriguez. Um, and then lots and lots of, of junior talent. Nico Benestad, Devin Fitzgerald, Rylan Lujo. I mean, your list, you just look at it, and it's like, wow, a lot of guys that can really hit. So uh, it's impressive the kind of lineup they'll be able to put together. And then, you know, with those two guys at the front of rotation, it'll be a really fun group to watch. Uh, looking ahead to number four, Parkview, a perennial power in the state of Georgia. Um, I mean, they've had a lot of good years, won a lot of state titles, and, and I think this might be the best roster they've had in some time. 
Um, they they know how to win. And that's that's the biggest thing. But you got guys like Colin Houck and Landon Stripling, and uh, you know plenty of other seniors that have been around, have known how to win, and now it's like, all right, this is their this is their final year and see just how impressive they can be. And then they probably they they might have the best underclass duo in terms of arms in the country. When you look at Thorpe Musey and Ford Thompson, I mean those two are are two of the best arms in the country regardless. And you put them on the same team um, as just juniors with still another year to go. It's it's kind of scary to think just how good that team can be. Uh, now looking down into the top three, uh, really really impressive group always. Uh, a team we're super familiar with in IMG Academy. Um, you know they have star power every year. It's a it's a different model than most high schools, but they play one of the most rigorous schedules in the country. Uh, they're at the showdown every year. They travel and play tons of really good programs, and they'll do that again this year. Um, and they'll be another team to fun. You know, it's fun to watch. They they don't have Elijah Green and Jackson Ferris and guys like that anymore. But Cam Johnson is is a is a star in the mountain. He was a PG All American. You look at Zion Rose behind the plate who has transferred in. Guys like Sean Russell, Tayshawn uh, Walton, Max Coffer, and then and looking beyond the seniors, then you have Noah Franco. You know the top. You know, was the top player in the 2025 class, re reclassed up to 2024, still a top 10 player in the country. Uh, Dean Moss, a top 10 player in the country. Uh, Sean Gamble, like it, the the list that they, they put together, I mean, they some of their, their, their second and third teams would compete in a lot of states. So, you know, they're always a fun group to watch and they're going to play a gauntlet of a schedule and it'd be fun to see just how well they do against those. Uh, looking at number two, all the way back out to the West Coast, and a team that we are always familiar with and is always in this range, Jay Sarah Catholic, um, a, a team that had a really good, really tough start to the year, but a really good close to the year last year, and ended up winning Southern Section, um, and they, you know, bring back a lot of that group that was their biggest contributors. Trent Caraway um, had a really good summer, and, you know, he's looking to have a phenomenal spring. He's kind of kind of springboarded up some draft boards a little bit and then it'll be exciting to see just how good of a spring he can have alongside a lot of the guys that you know we've 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 grown to love watch play out there on the west coast you got Matthew Champion is is an underclassman who can do it both ways for them and then JJ Hollis is a guy that you know isn't going to jump off the page in terms of looking at star power but he kind of goes pretty pretty much beats everybody that he he faces out there on the west coast um, and then the biggest one, looking at number one, um, you know, this is a team that when you looked at it probably eight, ten months ago, it was like, all right, you know, what can they be? And that's Calvary Christian. And they have the the one of the best rotations, I think, that you will ever see when it comes to just looking at, you know, the fact that they have three guys that have the potential to go on day one of the draft come this summer in one high school rotation. You have Liam Peterson, Hunter Dietz, and Landon Marutis, three guys that are all PG All-Americans, three guys that are some of the best arms in the country, um, and you put them in the same rotation, and obviously, you know, it's difficult to look at and say, how are all those guys going to get extensive innings? But, like, I mean, the way that they manipulate it, you know, if, if all of those guys can pitch to their true potential and stay healthy throughout the year, I mean, quite frankly, they might not let up more than a run a game. And then the biggest question mark there is like you look at it is like do they have enough offense to support that with how much star power is on the mound and 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 it'll be interesting to see they have a lot of talented guys Jake Kohler Andrew Tess or a couple underclassmen um, that could hit for them but I mean even beyond that and what's so impressive is you look they have like three or four Division One arms behind that that three headed monster of uh, Dietz Marutis and uh, Peterson and and that's what makes this team so impressive and it'll be so fun to watch to see you know, kind of the, t they'll have a big target on their back, but 
I think that they'll uh, they'll be ready to live up to the hype. So I've been kind of chasing this conversation, even though Danny booked it, you're on for a while. I think I might have reached out to you. You didn't attend PG events. You've gone your own route, which I love, by the way. I think it's amazing. Um, maybe hit you up. You wondered who is this guy texting me. Now we connect because your story and your journey has been incredible. I, I want to go back to to Hanford High School and, you know, baseball, football, quarterback, basketball, forward. You did them all and you did them all well. Um, for you, how much did that mean each year to play all three sports? Not just play, but dude, you competed, you led, you were the, you know, conference player of the year in every sport at least once. How much do all three of those sports mean to the fabric that is you? Um, I think it just made me the competitive person that I am. Um, I think that I loved playing sports growing up. I just loved to compete. So doing it in different sports, I think that just made me a better competitor. Um, I miss playing them a lot. I miss playing football and basketball. I try to play pickup basketball every now and then. But um, I think it allowed me to learn different things from different sports to, to keep along on my journey with baseball. Okay, so if I'm taking baseball away, give me, extol the virtues of being a football quarterback. We're in the middle of the playoffs right now. This is the only time I watch. I'm not really into it, but I'm watching now, and I'm seeing dudes that play quarterback like you, like guys that love. Extol the virtues of being a quarterback. What did you dig about it? Uh, I think it was just the lights, man. I think Friday Night Lights, especially in high school, was awesome because uh, you, get the, you get the jitters before that first that first uh, snap, uh, the kickoff. Everybody's hyped. Everybody's ready to go. And uh, especially my senior year, that was that was especially special because we were undefeated all the way up until playoffs. So I think every night just being the guy that can be the quarterback and try to get the team a win was, was something that was awesome. Um, being the quarterback is one of the highest praised positions, so it was awesome to play that. And then in my other side, Hustle, I'm a college basketball announcer, and that I do love, and that I do watch a lot. And you played, you balled, extolled the virtues of being a scoring forward on a, on a basketball team. That, that one was especially fun because um, my dad played basketball, so, so kind of playing that was, was something that I kind of attribute to him. And um, he gave me my skill to play. He, let, he gave me my ability to play. So playing that with my buddies every single day, I mean, basketball is one of the best sports to play, I think. Um, just whether you're playing in high school or just playing pickup, it's, it's, that's the most competitive to me. It's, the, the lot, it's a lot of fun. So. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So it, it sounds like Hanford has shaped you and you've made a stop at Long Beach, and now you're in Stillwater. If, if we're looking at a timeline of Hanford to Stillwater, can you share some of the highlights, things that would stand out on that timeline for us? Um, I would say me getting hurt at Long Beach uh, my freshman year. That was a big one, uh, not playing my freshman year, not being able to play a sport that I've been playing up until I was 19 years old was very tough. Um, just sitting on the sideline watching was tough. So um, I think the next year was, was something that I was looking forward to. And I think this season, this last season at Long Beach was a big one because I had struggles. Um, it wasn't just a perfect season. Um, I had to go some, some, through some things. I had to end up in the bullpen, came out of the bullpen, and um, scratched my way back and ended up having a good year and um, kind of kept that through going to the Cape and hope to keep that going here. What what led to that? Because like you mentioned it, your freshman year, I mean, that that's extremely hard to sit and watch. And, and we've seen a lot more of that recently of watching the journey of somebody have to 
sit it out and then come back. And I mean, obviously the season that you had was so good. I mean, if you look at your profile, the, the records that you set and the things that you did were remarkable. And now you're in Stillwater and, and you're at such a cool program with Josh Holiday and and with with a bunch of dudes who just I mean, the, I love that team. And I know you've talked about Rock Riggio. That's a guy that we're familiar with. So how did you get to this point? Who helped you? What did it take from your end? Um, I think once I once I entered the portal, it was just kind of figuring out what, what was the best decision for me. Um, what, what team was going to bring me in and allow me to be myself and, and be a part of the team as well. Um, and that ended up being here at Oklahoma State. Um, they had a great coaching staff, Josh, Matt, Rob, um, and then the, the players they had coming back, like the core guys with Rock, Marcus, Nolan. Um, it's just, it was a group, group, good group of guys that I couldn't pass up. Um, they, they had some going here. They obviously had a good year last year. So um, I think Oklahoma State was just a fit and I needed to find it. Mechanically, when we talk about like that square peg fitting in the square hole and things locking in, um, a little bit I got it, you know, pitching in the minor leagues, pitching in college, never with your skill set, but there were moments where you felt that, okay, this works for me. And now I see, boom, a big progression. Mechanically, what were a few things over the last, I don't know, maybe it was you working on little things while you were injured. Maybe it was you, you know, getting back on the mound. But mechanically, in college, what are things that have really locked, and you can be descriptive, that have really locked in for you to help you grow exponentially? Um, I think coming back off my injury, it was me just getting the feel for the game and then getting comfortable with it. Um, I think at the beginning of last year, mechanically, I was thinking too much about it. Um, but as the year went on, um, I got more comfortable. Um, I, I knew what I was trying to do. I was I was trusting what I was doing in the in the pens and working up leading up to an outing. So I think over this last year now, it's just trying to make sure I can maximize mecha my mechanics, staying more linear towards the plate, not flying open, because um, that's when I have those bigger misses. So staying staying controlled and trying to command the zone is kind of where my big mechanical change has come is because as my command goes up, my pitches get better. So I think that's what makes me better. Your slider watching some of your clips and you do a good job sharing your clips, man. It's, it's fun to go back and watch. Slider has, a, has almost a hard cutter look to it. It's, it's beautiful. And it depends on the camera angle that I'm seeing from center field. I know that. And then your curveball almost has that classic, like my father threw, 12 to 6 look to it. Describe your two secondary pitches. I know you throw a changeup as well, but your two spinners, give a good description of both of them because they both have different looks and feels. Um, curveball, I've, uh, I've been spiking that curveball since high school. 12-6, um, that's, that's probably one of the harder, harder pitches to control growing up, but um, it became much easier just learning things from, from different people. Um, as I've progressed, but with the slider, that's that's one I got very comfortable with last year, um, just with repetition. Uh, it was it was a pitch that got me out of, out of a lot of situations, so um, I began to get more comfortable with it, and I thought I could command it pretty well. So I think with both of those, if I can if I can command the zone and just throw strikes with my fastball, that's when we make those off speeds um, much better. Can you, can you throw those two? Uh, I know you can with the twelve six. I know you can, but. Are you confident throwing and comfortable throwing that slider to lefties as well, kind of back-footing it? Yeah, honestly, I like throwing it to lefties better. Um, I like it, I like jamming them up in the middle, but um, yeah, I'm comfortable throwing it to lefties. That's an awesome feeling to make them uncomfortable. There's nothing better than that. I, again, I, I wouldn't know at your level, but certainly uh, I try.
I tried, Danny. I tried. Yeah, you do. You definitely tried. So, Jaron, I've heard you talk about the evolution of that curveball. So, like, bring us along for what what that journey has been like, trying to figure out the, the best way to throw it and, and how you feel like it does the most damage for you. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, I didn't, I didn't spike it. Um, it took me a while to, to spike it. That was with working with Dalton. That's when we decided to spike it. But... Um, I think since it's just it's a difficult pitch to control 12-6 and you have to look at alternate um, alternate sites to land it in the places that you want. So I think that as I got more repetition with it in the game, um, seeing it move, I, I've been able to figure out where I need to release it um, when I'm throwing it. Um, I think that with practicing it without the spike sometimes makes it a little easier to throw. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you're on the game, then you have to spike it. But just practicing that is what allows it to get that spin as a fastball to get that same plane. How do you hope to leave your mark this season with Oklahoma State? You mentioned last year. I mean, watching them in the postseason was amazing. Like, what what an incredible team that they had and, and the fight that they had, the grit they had. You get to come in and, and be a part of that now. So how do you hope to, to stamp this program? Uh, I hope to be a guy that they, they obviously brought in to – to be a person that helps this team, and I want to be that. Um, I want to be a person that helps them every single weekend to win a game, um, do my job to allow them to win games, and hopefully get us to Omaha. What are characteristics of San Joaquin Valley people? <laughs> um, I would say gritty, competitive, um, and don't really care what anybody thinks. Yeah, it's that Central California vibe, man. I, I grew up in Southern California. I understand the Northern California vibe. There is. I mean, there's that, you know, it's a, a lot of blue-collar folks that work hard, you know, a lot of agriculture. It's just kind of a cool vibe. You, you, so for folks who don't know, Hanford is what? What do you like? How far south of Fresno? How far north of Bakersfield? Uh, 45, 45 from Fresno, an hour from Bakersfield, 20 minutes from Visalia. Um, small town, but... Um, can get to anywhere, go to San Luis, go to L.A. Um, it's right in the middle, but it's not, a, it's not a city. It's a farm town. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it seems like a cool spot. Um, last April 24th, Santa Barbara, uh, in their city, in their ballpark, hung seven on you, right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so they hung seven on you, and in your next five outings, you reeled off 33 innings, struck out 55, including in that was a no-hitter. But that's the way to respond from getting seven hung on you. Um, t- tell me about what happened in those last five starts. Was the outing against Santa Barbara something that nudged you in a certain direction that maybe flipped the switch? We've all had bad days, though. You could, you could just have a bad day. But kind of those last five starts following Santa Barbara, what really clicked? I think it was kind of... Santa Barbara and the couple games before that because that was my first start back with Santa Barbara um, But I had a couple pen outings before that and that was when I got in the mindset of not overthinking so much just trusting what I was doing um, And I had a couple good Bullpen outings and I think that's what led to me getting my start. Yeah, it was a rough start, but there were some positives the Vila was back up um, I was hitting spots with certain pitches that I wasn't hitting before um, and then that led that bled into the, the last five games as far as just keeping the same mentality with with trusting what I was doing and pounding the zone. And that's that's really cool. And, and sorry, Danny, that's really cool because that tells us right there that numbers aren't everything. That was a I'm almost there start. 
right? I mean, you walked away from that. You saw the seven, that's fine, but that's cool because numbers don't always tell the story. If I'm listening to you correctly, that was like, okay, I'm almost to where I need to be start, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a rough start. Yeah, no doubt I gave up a couple home runs, but it was positive in the sense that we knew we knew what we were trying to do. There were some positives and I just needed to keep going and it was gonna, it was gonna eventually come to light. Should we dive into UC Riverside and and that performance? <laughs> Should we? Can we do that for a second? Because I mean, Darren's alluded to it, and you've talked a little bit about it. But um, I think to accomplish something like that, especially based off of coming back from an injury, and you're you're in college, you're trying to sort through a lot of different things. Twenty twenty happened, and you have a performance like that. You've had maybe some time to digest it and look back and reflect is there a moment where you're like dang that was awesome um I think I was more when it kind of happened um it, it was it was last season now and uh, now I'm trying to throw a perfect game you know it, like that's that's kind of the next goal like um but it was cool uh, I think the part that I think that was coolest about it was that my mom was there um that's the only part I really think about is that my mom was there all right so tell us about mom introduce us to her and and What's she done for you? How's she, how's she been there for you? Um, she's, she's always provided me. I mean, it was me and her until I was about eight years old. And that's when me and my mom, my mom moved over to Hanford uh, with my stepfather. And she was just always a rock for me. Uh, she was always pushing me when I was down. Even if I wasn't working out, she's making sure I'm going to go work out. Hey, have you done this today? Have you done that today? Um, making sure I have the things that I need. Um, always. It, it was, she was just always, you know, she was mom. She, she's loving, she's caring, she's always making sure I'm doing the right things, trusting the right people. So um, I attribute a lot of my characteristics to her and how my personality is because she raised me the right way. So um, she's, she's the reason why I do a lot of my things. What a great answer. How, how about your sis, Ella? Tell me about Ella. Yeah, she um, she's she's a great. I mean, she yeah yeah she's an iPad kid. She uh, she doesn't watch my baseball games too much yet, but um, she's getting a little bit older, and it, it's it sucks kind of being away from her, being in Long Beach. I saw her more often, um, but she's growing up, and she's growing up fast. Last time I saw her was six months ago, but so before I went home for winter break, and she's grew a couple inches. She's talking a lot more. She's eight. She's about to be eight now, so. Um, I, I'm excited to see her grow up and when her and I can connect a little bit more because me being a little bit older is kind of hard. Um, but when she's a little older, I think we're going to have a great relationship. There's always that cool thing. That's always that cool thing when there's that big of an age gap that it, 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 no matter what the self-check is, you think to yourself, well, this is a decision I'm going to make. Here's my crossroads. She's watching. She's going to see the things I do as, as, as the older brother. That, that's kind of a cool responsibility for you to have. You, you share a lot about coach Dalton Silva, uh, mentor Dalton Silva. Um, I shared with you in our pre-interview, I got to know him through you. So why don't you tell everybody else who he is and how he's impacted your pitching career, your journey into manhood. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, he's the one that kind of really got me into thinking I could do this baseball thing. Um, my, I thought my ticket out of Hanford was going to be football. He um, told me I should try pitching, and that's when... He used his tools and kind of the people he knew to, to help me out, um, put me on a put me in a place where I could put my name out there. Um, Coach Essien, that's one of his buddies as well, um, playing travel ball, and he just he just allowed me to. He just trusted me. Um, I didn't have a lot of belief in kind of some of the sports I was playing, like that I was going to get out of there, but he believed me that I could do it. 
Um, and I think that was kind of the biggest thing. He kept working with me for a couple of years. And once I kind of got into college, I would stay with the pitching coach that I was with. But he's always been, a, he's all kind of just a bigger brother now as far as we just talk about everything. Um, I'm going to send him my mechanical stuff, kind of just, he's seen me throw for a long time. So he sees little cues. But now it's just more of a brotherhood that we talk about anything. And if I'm down, I'm going to call him. If I'm up, I'm going to call him. So it's just one of the, one of the guys I love. You use the word trust, and, and it sounds like that is something that was important to you or or encouraging to you. Is is that right? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, with the I was originally committed to Texas Tech. That, that, that trust kind of fell through. Um, there's been people back in Hanford trust has fell through with. Um, but once you can get with somebody you trust and you stick with them. I love that. Um, the last one, I, I saw you in a cowboy hat, man. And I know you're, you're a California kid. I saw you in a cowboy hat. How's that transition going, man? Uh, oh, man, some of my fans were clowning me for it. Uh, they said that they saw that day coming and switched being from Hanford. But um, I'll, I'm going to do it. Switch to being, I'm going to embrace it. Perfect Game College Baseball can be seen a brand new edition every single week on Perfect Game TV. We drop it every Thursday in the afternoon ahead of the busy college baseball weekend. My co-host is Hunter Pence. Now, as a bit of a primer for the 2023 season, here's a bit of a recent show where Hunter Pence deep dives with the head coach of Vanderbilt, Tim Corbin. And this is one of the things I love about baseball and college baseball in, in general is there's a lot of like, what are you doing when no one's looking? And, and you see those results that come out on the field. And uh, But anyway, this is one of the most exciting times for me, Tim. I'm very excited for this to get to ask you this. Uh, I think of you as one of the leading edges in, in all of the, the realm of baseball and no matter what level. Um, and, and I wanted to just ask you, like, for development of players is really fun for me in the college level, but for development as a coach and to be on the leading edge for this long, how much does your program change from year to year? And what did you learn most about yourself and your program in 2022? Well, I do. I think you have to reinvent yourself every year because regardless of what you have coming back, whether it's – well, everyone's new – if you're a junior, you're a junior for the first time. If you're a senior, you're a senior for a first time. And that brings on its own challenges. I think the, the best recruits that you have in your program are the seniors come back because they select to come back. They could have gone off, but they chose not to. And this is one of those years, Hunt, where we've got 10 of them. And typically, we usually have two to three. But this year, we have 10. And before the season started, regardless of what happened last year, uh, I went into this a little thinking a little bit differently because when you have that many seniors, you have help. You have older brothers that can create messaging through their actions and through their verbiage to these younger guys, which is really a great resource. So knowing that that's the case, you do set up a year a little bit differently. There may be things that you set up just to empower the older kids to do the things that you might as a coach because you've got a younger team and more inexperienced team. But in this case, you have more experience and the allowance of letting them drive the car, so to speak, letting them um, grab the key, say, I've got this, let you watch this, you enjoy it. If we need help, we'll let you know. And not that it's that case, but I think you find yourself walking right next to them and and watching them take ownership of the situation, which is very fulfilling. Wow, Tim, it's it's a it's a wonderful dynamic, and I've always loved that as you know, kind of playing in college baseball, playing in the majors for a long time, and seeing how different leaderships work themselves out. And for me, fourteen years in the big leagues, and it could have been the same players, but each year has a different identity, no matter what. 
And, and same with, with college, year to year, could have been the same team, but totally different identity. And you're saying, you know, you have this 10 seniors, this is a unique special year. Um, what do you think would be the identity of this team as you're going in and the keys to this year's team's success? I think we'll see. I, I think you brought up a point that, you know, you've, you've been a part of 14 different teams. And I think when you get on certain teams, Hunter, you, you feel different energies every year. And there's some years where you jump into it, you go, oh, my gosh, I can just feel it. I, this is going to be a good group. It's the energy of the group. Now, whether that's the case with us or, or not, I, I don't know. But I think it's the energy that's created in, inside the group. And sometimes you have a, a tough time creating that energy. And it's it's not an indictment on any one particular kid or a group of kids. It's just kind of the flow of the group. But when you get it, it's such a unique and nice wave to ride because it, it's just a flow. And in those moments that the losses, you get over them quicker. The wins, they recover quicker from the wins, too. I, I think recovering from winning is just as important from recovering from losing because Teams that recover from winning, they put it aside and they center themselves the very next day and say, okay, that's done. Now let's move on to the next thing. And that's that's a mature thinking group. But I, I think I'm looking forward to seeing what type of energy we're going to create with this group and how that energy brings us to our potential. And hopefully that potential is high. Well done, Wax Figure. I mean, you booked in an amazing show. We're, we're getting the season going, Feb 17. Um, I'd say it can't start soon enough, but I need all the days um, to, to finish connecting and prepping. This is just, for me, the, the combo of Jerron, Watts, Brown, and then Matt Shaw, they're polar opposites, yet they're probably going to be facing each other in front of 35 grand in the big league someday. It's just, it seems to be an, a, an athlete that's refining, like that's getting into that funnel of, of refining who he is and taking his God bless skills, his mind, which is so deep and thoughtful as to the sport and his history in multiple sports, high history in multiple sports and taking it down that pipe. For Shaw, he's a little different. He's an excellent athlete, certainly, but this is a, a very deep thinker. This is a very serious guy. He seems well beyond his age, but I just thought cracking open both heads and listening to both athletes, this was the one for me for younger athletes, that this was kind of a must listen. That's the way I saw it. That's what I was thinking too. I, I know that as these next generations start to pour into the game, whether it's through high school, whether it's through college, they have so much information at their fingertips and it's up to them to decide how to use it and where to use it and when to use it. And so when you get to have these conversations with two guys who went to college and decided that that's the route that they're going to take and then they have all this information at their fingertips and now they're using it in the most amazing ways but then regurgitating it back to us and sharing that back to us and when they talk about it both of them Jaron Watts Brown and Matt Shaw they sound like it's really easy it's well you just do this and then you do this and then this happens I mean Matt Shaw who hit seven home runs his freshman season and then he comes back his sophomore year. He has five multi-home run games. I believe he hit 22 home runs then that sophomore year in total. And then he goes and wins MVP of the Cape. And, and he just explains to us in 60 seconds how he, 
he knows what his body does, how his levers work, and how to make that work for him. And, and, and it's the same with Jerron Watts-Brown and, and what he described when he's working on pitches or, or how he throws his pitches. I just think that it's really impressive, and, and they're willing to share, right? There's no gatekeeping here. That's a term for you, for all the kids out there. Darren, learn that word. Gatekeeping. No gatekeeping here with these guys, which I love the most. There's, that doesn't mean no filter, though, right? No. No. Because there's a huge difference, right? We should all yeah. have a little bit of a filter. Okay. A little different. He, yeah. here, he, here's the thing, and, and I say this carefully because I'm a big company guy, but for those of you that are maybe haven't because you play multiple sports or you live in a place where you found it for your family reasons difficult to get to a PG event, or you've gone to many like Matt Shaw and you've ranked 500th or you've ranked the 169th best shortstop in the country, don't pack your bags and stop playing. Re realistically, there's, a, there, there's only so many Bobby Witts out there and players that are ranked number one, ranked number two, ranked number three. Then there's Matt Shaw and Jerron Watts-Brown. Brown had never been. Watts-Brown had never been to a PG event. And Matt Shaw was ranked in, in the 500. He was outside of 500. So he got the generic 500 ranking. Don't pack your bats and quit if you love it. If you find something else you love, go do it. Go chase it. But don't do it. These two guys are a great example. If somebody told you there's something there in the, in the sport for you that makes you marketable, these two guys are examples. Don't pack your bats. Don't pack your glove. Don't pack your arm. Not until you're ready to do it. Don't let a ranking or a number have you, have you do it. That's, that's my final thought. I love that. Yeah, and, and somebody has to be number 125 or 789. Someone is going to take up space in that number. If you're going to take up space in that number and you want it and you want it and you want to be more and you want to be better, who cares about a number? Like, keep fighting, keep pushing, and you're, you're so right. These two guys are, are the perfect example of that. And sometimes it's nice to have examples like that because, like you said, we can't all be Bobby Wood Jr. <laughs> no. No, so subscribe. We drop a brand new one of these every couple of weeks. We're going to really try and ramp it up during the, the college baseball season as much as we can access these athletes. That means that, you know, bi-weekly we're going to make sure we do a subscribe. And, you know, you know, our producer is Danny Wexman. We want to thank our editor uh, on the ones and twos, Danny Wexman. And, of course, our co-host is Danny Wexman. I'm Darren. Thanks for listening to Amateur Hour. See you soon.